Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. I was kind of amazed the other night. I said, open your Bible, and nobody, and nobody had a Bible, it looked like, and everybody just kind of looked at me all strange. If you have a Bible, hold it up. Hold your Bible. Only place in all the world you can carry one of these things, and folks don't carry it to church. I am tripping. I was tripping. I was preaching in a large church, and everyone's breaking out phones and every other kind of thing. I ain't no Bible. I don't care what you say. This is what we call a Bible, in case y'all don't know. It's got leather. It's got pages. You got to turn them and look at the pages. It's called a Bible. It's called a Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you that verse after I find out if you got a Bible. Where's your Bible? Messing around, messing around. All right. (laughs) Second Samuel, everybody, chapter number 23. Thank God for the word of God. God's word is still able to change our lives. Been living for God for a long time, and I am so grateful that his word is fresh and renewed every day. Spent time with God in prayer this morning, felt his presence in that little hotel room, and I'm telling you, God is so merciful. He is so gracious to us. Second Samuel, chapter number 23, everybody. Very simple sermon tonight. I was wrestling I still want to preach on conscience, but I'm feeling God does not want me to. And so maybe you guys have scrubbed clean consciences here. But I just think it might be a bit heavy. And so uh, I think that's why God's like, no, it's a heavy sermon. You start speaking of conscience and there's no escaping. doesn't matter who you are. I know we all think we're all good, but we're not. Look at your say, you look at your neighbor and say, you know, you're not. See, ain't nobody even want to say it. You want to look at your name and say, don't say nothing to me. But your conscience is speaking it already. Teresa, you talking to your friend over there? You talking? I saw you over there, Teresa, over there. Like, and ain't nobody even over there. Everybody, that's why you over there by yourself, Teresa, just to let you know. <laughs> Second Samuel 23, verse number 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Beshabath, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino the Azanite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahoite, one of three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, 
the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended and killed the Philistines. Father, we thank you tonight, God, for your goodness, for your grace, for your loving kindness. God, we're asking, God, that you would speak to every man, God, every woman, boy and girl of every age and category. God, you would deal with hearts. Father, you would reveal yourself, God, tonight in such a mighty way. Let your word, God, come across with anointing. Help me to speak as I ought, God. I have no confidence, God, in my own ability, Father. Please, press this message into the soul of every man. Ask questions that must be answered, God, by each individual in this place. God, help us, for our day needs men like we're speaking of tonight. God help us tonight, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, can you say amen? Sermon's called Shama, if you're a note taker. Shama. Let me talk to you about what what you got there first. In verse 9 of our text, the Bible says, And Israel retreated. Retreat. This means to move away. It means to run away from the enemy after being defeated in battle. It literally means to go away to a place that is quiet or safe. Retreat. Now, there are seasons in life that we need to retreat and go to a place. There are times where you and I need to Airbnb somewhere away. Help me, somebody. There are reasons in the kingdom of God where this happens in our lives. We are pursuing destiny. Folks, we are supposed to be in pursuit of what God has called us to do. We are to be pursuing this, winning people to Jesus, preaching Christ, sharing our testimony. You know what? Let me tell you something about sharing your testimony. Can I take a moment? Every time you share your testimony, stand by for an assault. You hear what I'm saying? Every time, I want to just tell you that God did this, that, and the other. Stand by for this, that, and the other to be tested. Because we are in a war, and whether you believe it or not, there is a devil who believes it. And he will assault what you just gave God glory for. I am giving God glory for this. And he'll say, really? Well, watch this. And if you don't believe me, let God give you a testimony. And then you open your mouth and testify about it. And don't you dare turn me down. I'm going to start yelling here and I want the neighbors to hear it. We are praying in the Holy Ghost. And as we do this, it will always bring some serious opposition our way. Let me tell you, the devil doesn't waste his time. Even when I was here as a convert, even when I was here as a young disciple, I learned very quickly, the devil don't kick dead dogs and neither do you. He don't waste his time staring there and looking at something dead. No, it's dead. There's no threat from this. Listen to me. There is no threat from a Christian that don't pray. Well, I'm a Christian, but you don't pray, I doubt it. 
Man, he's a mean preacher. Not yet. There ain't no threat from the Christian that don't read their Bible. What are you going to say to the devil? Well, my pastor said, who cares what your pastor said? Your pastor ain't Jesus. You better know who said what. Well, I know what the scripture said. Well, what does it say concerning the things that you're doing? Come on. Ain't no threat from the Christian that don't read the Bible. I'm trying to preach this. Can you help me, sis? I'm trying. No threat from the the Christian that won't take time to tell somebody about Jesus. No threat from the man or the woman that is not serious about personal holiness. Are you serious about your own personal holiness? Do you realize unless you're holy, you'll never see God? Huh? Do you realize that? Do you realize if you ain't holy, you ain't going to see God? Well, I'm going to see God, but you ain't holy. How's that good work when he said he's holy? Well, I'm going to see God. No, you're going to see the devil, and you ain't going to like it. There's got to be decisions that must be made. Everybody hear what I'm saying? Ain't no threat from the person that don't labor, that don't labor with faith. But when we begin to be aggressive, And we begin to stand in our faith. We begin to traffic in the supernatural dimension. This is where our prayers that we are praying become very potent and they receive an answer. They become very specific. You can't make it up how God just drops this and moves in this. Well, it's a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence. It is directly connected to what you asked God for. This is where people get delivered. This is where your witness and your witness becomes like Stephen's. They cannot resist what you're saying to be potent and powerful. This isn't a witness to try and bring them to church. This is the misanoma. This is what we do. Well, I just want folks to come to church. It ain't about just getting in the church. They might not make it to the next church service. The goal is to fill heaven. The goal is to get them to understand if they died right now, they're going to go to hell. is where spiritual clarity comes in and personal dominion over your own life right here. But I'm telling you, along with all of this, the devil doesn't just disappear. He retaliates. When you start moving in all of these arenas because the word of God begins activating your faith inside, you begin stepping out and seeing God move. And the things you're saying, your prayers are having effect. Your witness is having effect. Your life is creating waves in the spiritual arena. The devil doesn't just put his hands in his pockets and say, well, I guess I lost one. No, no, it's not how it works. He does retaliate. And when he does push back, when he does shove you back, one of two things happens. You either push forward and continue to fight, or you retreat and pull back. You end up looking for escape routes. 
And then you try and make peace treaties with the enemy. Second Samuel 23, our text says, verse 9, Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, uh, one of the three mighty men of David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered, excuse me, together for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. They defied their enemy, the Philistines. They began to taunt them, began to mock them. Maybe they got a bit cocky, but we're Israel. Ha <laughs> ha. But then the Philistines began to fight back. And you know what? In fighting, maybe there's some casualties. Maybe there's some, uh, some, some folks that are dying. Uh, that this went beyond a taunting match. They're killing folks. In verse 9, the Bible says, in the midst of this, Israel uh, retreated. Let me ask, what will you do when your brother, your sister begins to waver in their convictions? When they begin to pull away and fall on their own sword. See, this is where we see one man who said, I will not retreat. I will not fall back. I will not hide. His name is Eliezer. And biblical names mean something. His name means God has helped. 2 Samuel 23, verse 10, so he arose, struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain, only to the plunder. He rose up, struck down the enemy, and was willing to use whatever he had in his hand to do this. Shamgar. He was a man of the same spirit in the times of the judges. The Bible says he used what he had in his own hand and his own possession to fight the enemy off. One verse in the entirety of the Bible that speaks of this man. But what we see was a man that was willing to fight. Judges 3 and verse 31. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. An ox goad. So obviously he is like a farmer of sorts. And what an ox goad is, on one, it's a, it's a long stick. On one side it has like a spatula for cleaning out the plowshares or, or you know, the, to get the mud out so they can continue working. And on the other side is a spear. It's, it's cut into a, a sharp point. So when the ox begins to stomp and want to eat, he realizes, i got to keep these ox moving. He flips it over, and he stabs the back of the ox, and the ox gets to moving. And this is the tool that he had in his hand, an ox goad. It's all he had. And he used this to fight. And God, the Bible says, gave a great victory that we can use what we have. That we can use what we have in our own hand to win the battles of the Lord. We will use what we have in our own possession, not what we wish we had, not what we wish we could obtain, but what we have in our own. Let me ask, what is in your hand today? What do you have within your hand? You know, God said to Moses, he said, what you got there, Moses? He said, what do you have in your hand? And Moses lifts up that shepherd's rod and said, it's a rod. All it was was a stick. And you know what that rod represented? It represented his entire life, 40 years living in the wilderness. 
This is what I've become, a shepherd. It's like asking the mechanic, what do you have in your garage? Tools, man. It's what he is. He's a mechanic. Well, this is what I have. I'm a shepherd. And what did he do? He said, throw it down. And God used what he had in his hand to bring deliverance to 400 or uh, 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 an entire nation of people that were bound for 430 years. You know, folks, listen to what I'm trying to say. God will use what we have, not what we don't have. You hear what I'm saying? He will use the money we have. Well, I don't have that much. He'll use the money that we have. He'll use the time that we have. I don't have much, but he'll use the time that we have. It only takes a minute to, to spread. It takes a minute to plant the seed. One plants, another waters. God brings increase, but if one don't plant, nobody can water. It only takes a moment. And God will use the time that we have. You say, I don't have that much talent. God don't need much talent. He only needs the talent that he gave you. Hello, somebody. He don't need much. He only needs what you have. What do you have? This is what he will use to accomplish his desire, his plans, his purposes, and all the earth, what he has already given to you and I. It's in our hands. He said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? The question is, will you lay it down? And then the other question is, after you lay it down, will you allow God to call you to take it back up again? Because God said, lay it down, and then Moses had to take that down. If you know anything about what he picked back up, God utilized that in the valley fighting. God utilized that for the rivers to be split. This is what God used, what he had. He had to take it and lift it up and give it to God. And I'm asking, will you lift your hands with that which you have in it, and give it to God. The time, your life, your mind, your heart, your family, your resource, will you, will you lift it to God? You know, folks, listen to what I'm saying. The things that we have in our hands today are actually embarrassing. Honestly. Remotes for TVs. Because we don't want to walk 10 steps. Oh, you've got a remote now. You know. Controllers for video games. I'm standing in line. I'm in, I was, I was you know, trying, trying to check into a hotel. This is a couple years back. And I'm standing in line, and I'm trying to wait for these guys. And these guys over there talking, oh, yeah, my team, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're old as I am, folks. I'm almost 50. Oh, yeah, man, yeah, man, yeah, dog, yeah, yeah, dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hey. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, yeah, my bad, bro. What you, yeah, yeah, okay. And he, he checks me out. I said, what are you guys talking about, man? I'm hearing him talking about this guy and that guy. Now, I don't follow too much football, but I know that guy don't play on that team. And he's like, oh, man, you never heard fantasy football. I said, you got problems, man. You're stuck in a fantasy. I'm standing in line, and you're talking about some make-believe stuff. I was in, I was in England. Waiting for the preacher. We just got done eating. I'm standing outside or actually at the beginning of this grocery store, which had a, a restaurant in it. And so I'm standing there waiting for him. And they have this big, huge stand. I guess at some time this Call of Duty game just came out. And I'm just watching the creatures come to this like it's, a, like it's free food, man. It's like they're just, and they all get to this stand and they're like my age. 
And I know some of y'all are in this. You need to knock that nonsense off. Sitting in your house in some dark room playing some dumb game. X, X, Y, Y, X, X, What's up with that? It's why folks can't grow up because you're stuck in this stuff. I'm telling you, it's dumbing our nation down. You think I'm kidding? Study it. Even the people, the people who made the video game. Why am I stuck on this? Because some of y'all are stuck on it. That's why. And I can feel it. And you don't even like me saying it, but too bad. Even the folks that, that created these video games said, our job is to release the same, I think it's endorphins, into your body that heroin does. That's why you can't seem to get off of it. Because it is an addiction. Feel that. There you have a study. They showed them. They literally are playing the game, and they've got them tied up to all these things, uh, and they're trying to match um, what heroin does in the body as these guys are going through this game. And until that happens, it don't pass. Once it happens, it passes. Y'all are crazy, man. What's in your hand? You're going to stand before God with a PlayStation controller in your hand. Some of y'all need deliverance. And I'm not just saying that just to be, well, where are the days that we used to bring that dumb stuff up to the altar and say, man, this has me bound. I just want to thank God. In my church, I had folks bringing Xbox games. I remember they brought all these Xbox, they had all these boxes of games, and we're smashing, and all these teens that were just getting saved. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, smash them again because he's hurting. Where are them days? Cell phones, got that in our hand. And on that cell phone, all kinds of stuff. I was preaching one of our leadership churches. I said, how many got a cell phone? They raised their hand. Hold it up. They held it up. I said, pass it three people over. And they're kind of reluctant. And then some of them did. I said, now everybody open their cell phone and go to pictures. You could feel. Mm-hmm. It's in your hand. A mouse? Point, click. What are you grasping so tightly that you're weary with holding it? Let me ask, can God use what's in your hand today to bring about a great victory? The Bible says Jesus, he lifted up the bread and blessed it and broke it. And that bread brought about an incredible victory for everyone that was in that multitude that day. Moses, he lifted up that shepherd's rod and two million people crossed over the Red Sea. He lifted that same rod and the Bible says the valley fighters had victory. Second Samuel 23 verse 10, he arose, attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. He used the sword and the Bible says he was holding on to it so tight that his muscles contracted, cramped up as he was wielding that weapon.
his mind. The enemy will not take nothing without a fight. And God brought about a great victory for everyone. Because this man raised his hands with what was in it. Let me just close with stationing ourselves to win. Verse number 11 of our text, it says, After him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herite. Philistines gathered together into a troop, and there was a piece of ground full of lentils, which is beans. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Shammah. Shammah positioned himself in the middle of the field. And this is where he said the battle must be won. In the middle of the field. You know what Jesus said? He said the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. The field must be defended or it will be overtaken. It must be defended. And so some people would say, man, forget it. It's just a hill of beans, just beans. But this man is saying, yes, because there are beans and they're not theirs. I don't even like beans. But they're ours. You're not just going to come and take what is not yours without a fight. And I am afraid that this is missing today. Not just going to come take without a fight. No. They're not going to take one bean from this ground without a fight from this man. You know, every pastor understands this fight right here. Every man or every woman fighting for the soul of another, every person literally, literally living for others and trying their best to encourage and strength understands this fight right here. One man, one lady, one family. I was preaching a revival in one of our churches, and before the service began, they had one of their baby churches come in. And then he had, well, actually had three of their baby churches in. It was a phenomenal time we had together and one of the guys um, had just came on on the uh, uh, speaker and was testifying to the church um, he had just gone out he'd been out maybe I don't know two three months um, and he said I'm just getting started um, and he he said I had um, three people um, in the church service this morning um, and the church erupted in worship and all I can do is think to myself where else would folks be excited about three in church? Except for folks that are fighting for everyone. If you don't fight for everyone, you'll just look and say, Sherry is small in here because you have no clue to fight for one. The incredible difficulty 
to see one make that incredible decision on their own, to love them. And how often, I've already said it throughout, throughout this revival, how often we have been steamrolled, pierced through, lied on, cheated, literally robbed and stolen from. And then all of a sudden, one comes. And it's so easy to look at that one and say, forget them. They're going to be just like the last one. But the reality is they could be the next Billy Graham. So we have to flush all the heartache through all the years of all the naysayers and all them that have done wrong and put everything we have into the one. And when the one makes it, folks don't get it. What a joy. It's not about building the church. He's going to build his church. He said it. It's about loving who he brings in. Whoever they are, whatever their color, whatever their size, whatever their mental state or capability, that we love them. And this one is very challenging. And every man or woman that is laboring for the Lord in that field understands this value. That's why the Bible says the shepherd would leave the 99 and fight for the one. He will leave the 99 and search for the one. And the Bible says when he finds it, he brings it back, carrying it on his shoulders and brings that one right back to the fold. And there is rejoicing in the fold. But the Bible says this is the only thing that we can do on earth that causes all of heaven to rejoice. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's the only thing. It's when we emulate that action right there. You show me another time where you can do something down here that causes all of heaven to stop and applaud. There's not. This is it. Because the challenge here is difficult. And it's so difficult, it bankrupt heaven and cost Jesus his entire life. Hello, somebody. Shama positioned himself in the middle of the field. And he didn't just position himself there and say, well, if I'm going to die, I might as well eat a burrito. That's not what he said in the middle of the bean field. You know what he did in the middle of the bean field? Somehow adrenaline was pumping through uh, this man's veins uh, and he positioned himself where he can look in every quadrant. He wasn't in one spot. He's looking around and he realizes everyone else has taken off and I'm standing. He's like, come on, come on. That's what he's doing. He's not there just sitting there. No, he's there and everything is right. Come on. And we're talking to a man who is fighting the fight. So when you read scripture, you can't just, well, it's just a nice little story. It is not a nice little story. It's one man fighting an incredible battle. It's one man saying, come on with everything you have. And as they're coming, he's just doing whatever he can to stay positioned right where he is. Let me ask you, what is the demonic taking from you? Hmm? What is he plundering? Your mind? Got you all vexed and worried? Got you all tormented with all kinds of nonsense in your own mind? The mind that the precious blood of Jesus purges and makes right and makes clean, but yet your mind tormented and perplexed? So you got your marriage? Huh? Is he holding your marriage in hostage? What does he have? Um, what is he taking? Is he taking your finances? Is he taking your morals and your purity? What is the devil taking? Is he taking your ministry? Are you not fighting for your own ministry? Is he taking your church? Is he sneaking in and Taking out of the church brothers and sisters like a wolf, stealing sheep. Come on, is he taking your vision? 
Can you see tomorrow, the next week, next year? Can you see the purposes and the plans of God? Or is he taking it from you? Has he taken your salvation? I said it the other day. Do you have joy in serving God? Well, you're going to go to church tonight. Is there any joy in it? Any? <laughs> Do you remember when we had just loud, I, I, you know, I, I, can I just be honest? Dave, hit the stinking drums, dude. Where you at? And I know you probably don't like that. Sing, man. Make noise. Make it loud. I'm like, that's all going. You're freestanding now. Who cares? Turn it up. Come on, man. Let's enjoy this. Will you position yourself in prayer with that same resolve? Will you position yourself? Come on, devil. Come, I, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Where are them prayers? We just kind of get in there. Or we're in there. Man, what's up, man? Do you remember when you were so angry? Ah, Amazon. Do you remember when you were so upset and somebody pushed you? Do you remember that? And some just got on you. You just said, stop pushing me. Man, I'm a small boy, but I'm going to tell you something. You're going to push me a little bit. And I might be small, and I might not have all this strength, but I believe there's three in one up in here. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And you add me to the punch, man, I'm telling you, I ain't backing down from nobody. You ain't going to push me. You ain't going to push my family. It's mind-boggling how sissies we become. Where is our rebuke? Even me saying, well, I can't believe he said that over the prayer. I could say much worse. Man, where is that, man? Where is that resolve when we say, hey, you ain't going to mess with my family, devil. I, come on, get out of here. Remember that? When he pushed you, hey, where is that pushback? Where is that? Where is it I stand against you? Where is that I come against the sins that are destroying our city? The sins that are destroying our youth. That which is destroying our schools. My goodness. Where's the pushback? Shama positioned himself to win. Folks, we must desire this. I hope you hear what I'm saying. We have to, and I cannot inject this into you. Somewhere, you have to have a desire to win. You cannot be double-minded and unstable in this fight to win. We have to have our minds made up that I am not going in this to leave this 
unattended and fail. No, I am going to win. Man needs something that he is willing to fight for with all of his might. Someone asked Candace Owen, who is an incredibly brilliant mind. This woman has a brilliant mind. Absolutely brilliant. They asked her, what do you think the problem is with our generation? Your generation, she's speaking. Or he's speaking because it's this generation, she's young. She said, honestly, she said, I think it's because this generation is the generation that never fought for anything. Every other generation had to fight, had to go to war, lay down lifeblood, lay down business, lay down limb, limb for a generation yet to be born, for their own children to have what we have. But this generation hasn't fought for nothing. They've been handed everything, and this is what you get, a bunch of crybabies. It's like toddlers that didn't have to do anything, so all they do is cry for more. We have to have something that's grander and greater than us that we are willing to fight for. Eliezer and Shama, these stood and defended while everyone else retreated and fled. Because they had no desire inside to fight what was literally for theirs. It was theirs. They had no desire to do it, but these two stood their ground. Folks, we have the habit of defending the wrong things. We are so willing to stand and position ourselves on things that are so selfish. We will defend our right to have things in life. Even me, speaking of video games, some of you guys got all irritated and started switching cheeks. One cheek, next cheek, ready to just trying to find that one cheek and walk out. I know, I can feel it. You'll defend your right to do this and do that. You defend the very things that will only weaken your ability to be useful and purpose-driven for the living God. And at the end of the day, the question still rings, will or can the Lord bring about a great victory by what you're so willing to defend? Will he use what's in your hand? Our text states his hands froze to the sword. And his name declares God helped And I'm telling you, God helped him right then and there in the midst because he had the will to stand and fight the enemy and brought about a great victory. That's incredible. Can that be said of you and I tonight? Of what we are holding on to, of what our hands are froze to, can and will God come down and help you and I bring out a a victory with it? Yeah, you're going to help me, man. I'm going to whoop up and man. These guys, man, my, this, man, EA Sports, man. I ain't mad in football. I don't even know if that's around anymore. But whatever. And yeah, he's going to help me get me a touchdown. Come on, man. Can we grow up? Only one person. That's all right. That we hold to prayer. God knows we need some time fasting. This nation we are living in, oh my goodness, how far we have drifted from the the morals of biblical truths. You know, you'd hear the, the, uh, on the ship, uh, when I was stationed uh, over there in Norfolk, we would pull in and we'd we'd hear it, moored naval station in Norfolk, right? 
hear that. It meant we were tied to the pier. It meant no more floating around somewhere. It meant I can walk off in safety to hear that I was moored. What are you moored to? What are you tied to? What is the pier for you? God help us. Because we have drifted. We are not tied to the things of morality any longer. We've drifted so far away. That we hold on to our convictions to preach Christ crucified. You realize they're coming after the church? I don't know if you guys understand all that's happening. I don't, I, you know, you know, you hear people, love, especially in my culture. I'm black. In case you guys can't tell. Look, 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 look. White, black. My culture is a mess. It's, 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 it's actually heartbreaking because we are so rooted in spirituality. Where are those convictions today? Where are the black men that stand up and proclaim what I'm speaking right here? Hmm? You can find them in every other culture but black. It's, it's so doggone sad, man. It vexes my soul, man. Will we still preach Christ crucified? Will we hold to integrity? Do we even know what that means anymore? Will we recall what it means to be pure and holy? Will we hold to the unchanging truth of God's word or does this morph because, you know, the times? Really? I am the Lord and I change not. Jesus said everything else may pass away, but my word remains. Huh? Will we hold to his promises tightly? Will we hold to them? That, beloved, these held cause others, others, others to return to plunder at the very place where they have been defeated and fled before. They return. They come back. We have an usher in Chandler. I won't say his name, but he's been around. He's been around for a long time, but then he backslid horribly and was gone, divorced, broken marriage, home, life. Years later, he comes back. But you know, he came back to the church. What if Pastor Campbell just quit? What if he just quit? Didn't hold to conviction and purity and holy. What if everything shifted and he came back and the church wasn't even there? They come back to the plunder at the very place where they have been defeated and they fled in times past. Our text says they all retreated and fled. But Eliezer and Shammah, these two men, stood their ground, said, this is worth fighting for. They took what they had in their hand and fought and fought and fought. And Psalms 108 verse 13 says that, 
through our God, we shall do valiantly. It is he who treads down our enemies. He was willing to hold to the sword. They were willing to trust in his God. And through this, he solicited the help of the Lord of hosts who will come and fight our battles. Is there any Eliezer's and Shammah's in the house of God tonight? That's always the question. Is there any tonight? God said, Moses, begin to engage Sihon. The battle was already done. God just needed Moses to start it. He said, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for the Lord will work miracles through you. That was before any wall fell in Jericho. To the disciples, even the demons, they said, are subject to us through your name. See, the battle is and always will be the Lord's, but he chooses to use you and I to win it. And we'll never understand this unless we're willing to stand our ground. Unless we're willing to position ourselves in the middle of the field and choose to say, I am not bowing. I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to have courage. I'm going to stand here and fight, and I'm going to win. You've got to be steadfast and movable in your faith, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. You've got to take what's in your hand as Moses' rod and strike the waters. You've got to say like Elisha, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And then step out and do something for God. See the beauty of this victory given as it came from men that are really from complete obscurity. Paul, he said, you see your calling, brethren. In other words, you know what? You guys know who you are. I know who I am. Come on. I'm not some educated person. The most education I have was NSDAT 32nd Street. In case you're wondering, that's dental tech school, which I barely passed. See, the greatest gift given this generation was given by two or three women praying. You say, where was that? Azusa Street. Some women that just prayed. And God heard their prayer. They prayed a specific prayer. Here comes Seymour. William Seymour, I believe. He comes and knocks on their door and speaks to them these words. You prayed for me to come. And all all of a sudden, Pentecostal revival breaks out. And all I'm saying is that God can and will use anybody that has the will to hold the sword and the truths of the word of God. He will empower you. He will strengthen you. He will cause you to have a great victory. And that victory will cause others that are in full retreat as of right now to come out of their places And your victory will give them their God-given spoils. Not everyone will return. We understand that. But some will. That the devil has been holding these in captivity. But I'm telling you, the devil's camp, it's time for it to be plundered. Families that have been ransacked and plundered will have men from that family run back to the plunder. Minds that are oppressed of the devil will be made right and plundered for God. The church, which so often has so many men and women in full retreat, they will flock and plunder the goods that God has purchased on Calvary for them. 
And again, these altars in the church house, not just here, but across the U.S. and throughout the entire world will be filled with men and women that will get what Jesus Christ died to give them. Salvation, redemption, restoration. And that's because we choose to stand our ground and fight. Our text, and I'm closing right here. Bible says God gave great victory, and these men's victory was a victory, not just for them, but for everyone. From ordinary men that positioned themselves and held to the fight. I chose the title of my sermon, Shama. The name of the two men is Shama, one of them. The other name was Eliezer. These are the two that I wanted to focus on. Eliezer, his name means God has helped, and we see that. And we always know God will help us. At some point in our life, God, I know you're going to help me. But Shama, <laughs> his name, you know what it means? Astonished. I sat there, and this is where I, I was sitting in my office when I was working on this sermon some years back, and I sat there thinking about that word astonished. So I looked it up. Listen, to stun to stupefy, to confound, to strike with sudden and overpowering wonder, to surprise greatly, to amaze. I said, God, that's what I want out of my life. That's exactly what I want. I want to be amazed at what you can do through one person who's willing to stand. I want to be stupefied. God, how did that happen? I don't know, but you did it. How is my family together? I don't know, but you did. How did he break a curse? Do you really? I'm the only Christian in my entire lineage. How did you do that, God? I'm the only chase in my lineage with boys. God broke a curse and gave me twins. Now, you know twins in my family. Identical boys. They're going to carry the name, and they're Christians. How is this God? What did you do? That's what I'm saying. God, you stupefy me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I am mind blown. And I'm telling you, this is exactly what always happens to you and everyone else when we realize, God, you have helped me. How many desire that for your life? To be astonished, stupefied, amazed. If you don't, I can't help you. And neither can God. And I'm telling you, one day you're going to wish you would have agreed with that. God, I just want that. You got to position yourself to fight. You got to position yourself to fight. Shama. I want to be amazed, oh God. We're not talking about all this extracurricular. God, I just want to be amazed. Use my life for something for your glory. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.